I'm Angela Moore with Humphreys Moore Shawnee Ranch in Box Elder, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the Cattle Contract Library Act was a bill introduced by South Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar a few weeks ago in Congress, and it has actually made its way all the way through the House. In fact, the House voted overwhelmingly to pass it here just a few days ago. We'll have a story on that to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, and we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The phenomenal growth of the dairy industry in the Texas High Plains continues and our region's weather is a major reason. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. Successful water grant projects implemented by agricultural producers and local entities. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have the story on Texas Ag Today. Leaves are falling down all across Texas. Please join me, John Begno, as we talk about leaf management in landscapes. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Cattle Contract Library Act passed the House of Representatives Wednesday with a very strong bipartisan vote of 411 to 13. The bill creates a library for cattle contracts within USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service. A similar library already exists for the pork sector. The bill would require packers to report terms of alternative marketing agreements between packers and producers while equipping ranchers with additional market data needed to make informed marketing and business decisions. South Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez voted for the bill. He says it will help to level the playing field when it comes to marketing cattle. I think that's meaningful legislation. It's bipartisan. Dusty Johnson and uh, Congressman Cuellar, my neighbor to the south, to me in Texas, put this through today. Uh, protecting the cattle industry, I think, is critical. At the end of the day, it provides a level playing field, and that's what we want. If there is a level playing field, we are going to win. We're going to win on the, the national and the international stage, uh, and I will do everything I can to, to make sure we have that level playing field. The bill now heads to the U.S. Senate. Sign up opens Monday for a key dairy safety net program. Starting Monday, dairy farmers across the nation will have the opportunity to enroll or re-enroll in the Dairy Margin Coverage Safety Net Program. DMC issues eligible dairy farmers payments when the difference between the price of milk and the cost of feed falls below a certain threshold. This week, the Farm Service Agency announced Supplemental DMC, which will provide $580 million 
to help small and mid-sized dairies that have increased production over the years. Eligible dairy farmers in Supplemental DMC will be able to retroactively receive payments for supplemental production. Interested dairy farmers must sign up for Supplemental DMC before signing up for DMC. This week, FSA also announced another change for DMC, an update in how it calculates feed costs. The agency says this will make the program more reflective of actual dairy producer expenses. DMC and Supplemental DMC sign-up begins December 13th, and runs through February 18th at FSA offices. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. USDA's latest crop production forecast release yesterday shows Texas upland cotton production now forecast at 8 million bales. That's 75% higher than 2020. Yield is now averaging 731 pounds per acre. That's compared to 686 pounds last year. Acreage harvested here in Texas now standing at 5.25 million acres, up 64% from last year. The phenomenal growth of the dairy industry on the Texas High Plains continues. James Hunt tells us the region's weather is a major reason for that. Take a few drives in the country and you can tell there are a lot more dairies here than was true not all that long ago. In fact, Texas A&M AgriLife dairy specialist Juan Pinheiro says the Texas Panhandle dairy herd has grown from approximately 20,000 cows in the year 2000 to almost half a million now. That's some major expansion. And Dr. Pinheiro says our climate is a big reason for it. The High Plains region being a dry area and having less humidity helps cows to dissipate better heat through evaporation. So cows here are less prone to heat stress compared to more humid areas. Dr. Pinheiro points out that even in the hottest part of the summer, we still have fairly cool nights and our region's winds also help dissipate heat for the cows. It also turns out our dry conditions help dairies when it comes to environmental controls. Having less precipitation helps to better handle manure. If you have more precipitation where you collect the manure in a lagoon, you have to be controlling the level all the time of that lagoon and make sure that it doesn't reach a point where there could be a risk of runoff from that manure. Also, when we apply manure as fertilizer in the field, having less precipitation and less rivers and lakes close by, there's less risk of nitrogen runoff. That's why there are less environmental risk in this region and thus less stringent regulations. Beyond climate factors, Dr. Pinheiro says the availability of affordable land and the presence of several local milk processing operations have also helped foster expansion. The outlook for the future of our region's dairy industry is the topic for our next report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There have been several successful farm and ranch water conservation projects funded by the Texas Water Development Board. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at some of those projects. In our final report on the Texas Water Development Board's Agricultural Water Conservation Grants Program, Kathleen Jackson highlights some of the successful projects that have been funded and implemented over the years. Well, some previously funded grant projects include demonstration of conservation practices, educational outreach, purchase and installation of water use monitoring equipment, and irrigation efficiency improvements. And what we're really looking for, I think, this year is projects that quantify water savings through 
proven technology, those demonstration projects that engage agriculture producers through educational outreach in the form of field days, seminars in the classroom, or demonstrations on farms that are involved in the projects, those that promote the adoption of innovative water conservation practices that result in improvements to irrigation efficiencies and soil health, those projects that identify methods to measure and report water conservation performance metrics such as water savings, soil water holding capacity and infiltration because we know if it's important enough to be concerned about it, it's important enough to be able to measure it. Right now, drought conditions across the state are about 40%. A week ago, it was 36% of the state was in drought and just three months ago, only 1%. So Texas is in perpetual drought punctuated by times of flood. Drought is always upon us and something that we need to be concerned about. Water conservation is a water supply and so it's very much something that we need to be focused on. We need to be investing in as farmers and ranchers are across the state. That is Kathleen Jackson. She is with the Texas Water Development Board in Austin. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Leaves are falling all across Texas. San Angelo horticulturalist John Begno has some tips for managing leaves in your landscape. Well, if you're like me, you're seeing leaves just fall every time the wind blows a little bit. It's been a long season for leaf drop, and that's good, but they seem to be falling in pretty much a lot of species like bur oaks and some of the other oak trees that are deciduous have lost the majority of their leaves. And by the way, there are certain genetics in certain populations like red oaks where the leaves are persistent and they don't seem to want to drop all at one time or over a short period and they hang on all winter long. There's not anything you can do about that. That is a genetic trait and that uh, that's not always good because those people are raking leaves forever. Now what to do with those leaves and managing those leaves is is a personal choice. If you're, for instance, in a confined area where you don't have a a place to dump it and let it stay on your own property, then of course um, there are cities that take it and use it in mulching uh, operations and things like that. It's always better to try to keep it above ground than throw it in a landfill below ground, simply because it's really good material. This organic matter contributes to the life of the soil you think about it in a forest situation, twigs and branches and leaves fall and all they do is decompose because of moisture and nitrogen and organisms and then they feed these trees and brush and other plants and animals all around it. So they're very beneficial. If you're a gardener, you know that if you're going to be planting vegetable gardens in the spring, that that leaf material, if either piled or composted, And then throw a little nitrogen and maybe keep a little moist through the winter can be very valuable. So as valuable as any fertilizer, as a matter of fact. And with looking at future prices of nitrogen fertilizer next year because of the price of natural gas, you may want to start looking at maybe growing your own type of nutrients because they are very beneficial. And the rate of decomposition is dependent upon the type of plant material. Live oak leaves break down slower, and other leaves may break down a little faster. Keep it moist through the winter. Throw a little nitrogen fertilizer on them and just turn it. So if you throw it on your garden now and turn it in, it could be ready for spring. This is John Begno reporting from San Angelo. Pheasant hunting season is now open in the Texas Panhandle. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have a forecast for hunters coming up on Texas Ag today. And about 10% of equine colic cases require surgery. 
Texas veterinarian, Dr. Bob Judd, has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. About 10% of equine colic cases require surgery. Dr. Bob Judd says there are a lot of myths out there about this type of surgery. Certainly, you never want to hear your vet say your horse needs colic surgery, but it does unfortunately occur from time to time. Most of the time, if surgery is indicated, you will need to take your horse to a specialty center for the surgery because it requires a lot of equipment and staff to perform colic surgery. Dr. Hill indicates one myth about colic surgery is that some horses are too old for the surgery. And although this may be a concern in a very old horse over 30 years of age, studies have shown that horses over 20 years of age undergo colic surgery and recover, as well as horses less than 15 years old. So if your horse is over 20 years old and in good health otherwise, successful colic surgery is possible. Another myth is that after colic surgery, horses are never the same. This is a difficult surgery, and recovery can take up to three months of restricted exercise and then another three months of gradually increasing exercise. However, one study recently reviewed records of over 200 colic surgeries of various breeds and disciplines and found that 84% returned to their previous discipline and 79% did so at the same level or higher after surgery. Some horses do have to have some intestine removed during the surgery, and some believe this decreases success, but it actually depends on the area of intestine resected. The success rate of horses with resected intestine is from 65 to 75%, depending on the area involved. The last myth is that once a horse has colic surgery, they're likely to colic again. Results of a study revealed that if the horse does not already have a history of colic, it is unlikely to have increased rates of colic after surgery. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Pheasant season is now open in the Texas Panhandle. Jessica Domel has a pheasant season forecast in today's wildlife report. Pheasant hunting season is now open for 37 counties in the Texas Panhandle. The season officially opened December 4th and runs through January 2nd. John McLaughlin, Upland Game Bird Program Leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, joins us with more. While we don't think that it's going to be a banner year, we did get some encouraging reports from opening weekend and people and hunters were able to get into some birds. As you may know, each year we have about a dozen bios go out and they survey 44 routes across the Panhandle and South Plains. And our numbers came out pretty low this year, about two birds per route. And that's been pretty consistent since about 2018. 
for some perspective, you know, when we had the big quail boom year in 2016, we had about six birds per out for pheasants. And back in 2010, if you can remember back that far, we had about 28 birds per out. So we're definitely the lower end in terms of pheasant numbers, but we do expect there to be average hunting for most folks across the Panhandle and South Plains. Drought is likely to blame for the decline in pheasant numbers. Despite the aberration of 15, 16, 17, where we had the more moisture, the last decade has been relatively dry. We've had some pretty heavy drought cycles. That's really depressed some of the standing vegetation that's critical for pheasant nesting habitat. So it's really the dry conditions, lack of rainfall, that are driving some of these low numbers. So we really need consecutive years to pull out of that. We were able to do that slightly in 2016, 17, but you know, really over the last three or four years, we've gone back into a drought cycle. That was John McLaughlin with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. This year's bag limit is three male pheasants per day. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. After a week of lower closes, we finally saw the cattle market have an uptick on Friday. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org stress to learn more. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, we watched the cattle market drift lower all week long, and finally on Friday, things turned around to close slightly higher. We finished higher on both live and feeder cattle, with December live cattle up 12 cents, 136.85, February up 27, 138.07, April live cattle up 65 cents, at 141.87. Same story on the feeder market. Higher closes across the board, with January feeders up 80 cents, 164.87. March up 22, 165.30. April feeder cattle up 35 cents, 168.20. Cash-fed cattle wrapped up the week, selling cattle as high as 140. A few reported at 140 and a quarter. That's two bucks lower than the previous week. Boxed beef prices higher on Friday. Choice up a dollar 42 at 265.97. Select up 256 at 254.24. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble as he visits with Carl Herman of Caldwell Livestock. 
Carl, how was this last sale? I had uh, 1,200 head for 164 consigners and 49 buyers on a higher cow market and calf market. We had about 160 cows and bulls, slaughter cows 20 to 70, slaughter bulls 75 to 95, stocker cows 750 to 1150, and the pairs 850 to 1225. On the calf side, on the steers, two three-weight steers, 170 to 210. Three to four weights, 165 to 210. Four to five-weight steers brought 155 to 190. Five to six-weight steers, 140 to 170. Six to seven weights, 135. 162 and a seven to eight weights 115 to 147 uh heifers two to three weight heifers 160 to 195 three to four weights 150 to two dollars four to five weight heifers 145 to 175 five to six weights 135 to 155 the six to seven weights brought 125 to 142 Seven to eight weights, 120 to 145. These prices are finally lining up to where we're getting some money for these calves. Even these light calves are bringing bring quite a bit of money per pound. And uh, the big calves are sure dollar a $900 to $1,000. Looking a little better, Larry. Good deal. Now, it'll look really good uh, female-wise on Saturday there, won't it? Yes, sir. We've got a special sale uh, Saturday with six, over 600 head. We'll have uh, some really fancy uh, replacement cattle. Brayfords, Brangus, Herfords, Santa Catrudas Crosses. We've got pears, breads, opens. Heifers, young cows. Uh, everything will be six years and younger. We've got, I think, about 12 Hereford bulls, uh, two Brangus bulls, uh, probably five or six Angus bulls. So uh, those bulls will be tested and ready to go. Anyway, we look forward to people coming and looking and, and buying some good cattle Saturday. Starts at 1 o'clock. At 1 o'clock there at Caldwell Livestock. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Carl Herman. Okay, my number is 979-820-5349. Call the barn, 567-4119. Fear in the Giddings and surrounding area, call Max Ebner, 540 Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs closed higher. The December contract up 62 cents, 73.05, while the February took a big jump, up 3.20, closing at 81.02. Class 3 milk was mixed. December milk down 2 cents, 18.59 a hundredweight. While the January contract was up at nickel, closing at 1987. The cotton market closed slightly lower. Not a whole lot going on in the market on Friday, so prices just drifted lower into the close. March cotton down 36 points, 106.23. The May down 31 at 104.93. New crop December cotton down 9 points, 89.75 cents. Same story in the corn market. Not a whole lot of direction on Friday. We close with the December contract unchanged, 588 and a half. New crop September corn down a half, 564 and a quarter. However, we did see a nice uptick in the wheat market. After two days of big losses, wheat finally turned things around on Friday, took back some of those losses. July Kansas City wheat up seven and a quarter, 798 and a half. July Chicago wheat up eight and a quarter at 783 a bushel. In the energy markets, January natural gas up seven cents, 389. January crude oil up a dollar five, 71.99 a barrel. The financial markets were slightly higher Friday afternoon. The Dow up 195 points, 35,950. The Nasdaq up 83 at 15,601. The S&P up 39, 4,706. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.